All right, everyone. I hope you're excited for this part three of the decline of American unionism. If you want the whole thing, go ahead and head on over to patreon.com slash work stoppage and become a patron for $5 a month. That really helps us do this show. If you can't afford that, jump in the Discord and message one of us to let us know and we'd be happy to hook you up with it. This information is too important to not share. But uh, we really appreciate the support that everyone does give. And uh, without further ado, enjoy this little preview. And solidarity forever. It's so crazy because, like, so many people in the United States are like, "Why can't we have a, a Nordic-style social democracy? Right. You know, why can't why can't we develop the things that uh, Northern Europe has?" And it's like, well, the main reason is we never had a big old USSR right next door, <laughs> yeah. forcing our hand, making us terrified that the workers in our own country might rise up and do a revolution. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so now we're getting into. The Clinton era, which, you know, we had, there was eight years of Reagan followed by four years of Bush. So you're just like, hey, finally, there's a Democrat in charge. This guy will be pro-labor, right? Turn it around. (laughs) Culturally sensitive saxophone man. He's going (laughs) to fix everything. He and his wife were waited on by black inmates when they lived in the governor's mansion in Arkansas. No, sir. (laughs) Yeah, so that's what, you know, the Clinton era was sort of heralded as, is just, I mean, because at this point, after 12 years of of solid Republican rule, you you had the labor movement and its political arm was pretty much desperate for anything. And so there was just like, hey, it's it's Bill Clinton. We finally got a Democrat in there. And then Bill Clinton becomes the architect of NAFTA, the, Mm -hmm. as you said before, the North American Free Trade Agreement which was set up to break down barriers in North America between, you know, the United States, Canada, and Mexico as far as trade. And so it's, this is another one of those things where the language involved is so charged, but it doesn't sound like it is because it's all about, we're just breaking down barriers. But what are those barriers to is the mm-hmm. thing. It, and it's what it is is it's, it's barriers to American capital being able to exploit labor and resources in those countries. That's the, those are the barriers that were taken down by NAFTA. It's, it's going after things like, for instance, laws that had been in, on Mexico's books for a very long time against foreign land ownership mm-hmm. as a way to you know, make sure that Mexico could maintain control over its own territory. Those were eroded as part of NAFTA, allowing U.S. companies to move in and buy up a huge amount of, of land and resources within Mexico. Uh, the similar provisions allowing for the movement of U.S. capital into Canada. And so NAFTA has become a lightning rod of criticism correctly, but often the way that the criticism is framed is bullshit. It, because NAFTA is bad. These free trade deals are bad, but it's, it's often put out there as because this is bad because now American workers have to compete against cheap labor in Mexico. And 
the, with the implication <laughs> that the problem is Mexican workers, which is not true and is racist. Like mm-hmm. the problem is a lack of solidarity from American labor with Mexican labor because, you know, workers in Mexico and workers in America have the same interests. We have the same class antagonism. There are, you know, there's differences. And U.S. is constantly doing imperialism to Mexico. So, you know, there's, there's a difference there. But the improvement of conditions for workers in Mexico benefits workers in the U.S. It benefits workers in Canada. It benefits workers everywhere. And so it's so important to understand that critiquing these free trade agreements is correct, but we need to critique them from the right angle because the problem with these trade deals is they allow American corporations to loot Mexico mostly and somewhat Canada. And what we need is for good labor conditions to reign everywhere because that takes labor out of competition with itself. It raises the standard of living for workers everywhere, Mm -hmm. which forces companies to pay workers more regardless of where they are. So when we oppose trade deals like this, it's because we want to stand in solidarity with those workers and not have them be fucking exploited like 10 times worse than they already were by these gigantic American companies moving in and setting up giant factories that then pay workers shit wages. We want, if you know, we want the workers in those, those factories to be paid more, not for there to be set up like protectionist barriers to prevent jobs from being in Mexico. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's like the thing that I, I feel like we're shepherded towards in United States kind of a uh, uh, like work culture is that like oh if you lose your job you you should be uh you know mad at, at the at the Mexican laborers because right. there's only so many jobs or there's only so much money to pay workers <laughs> and and like you you need to fight over these scraps and like that's just patently not fucking true there's plenty of fucking money and if you literally just look at who's in charge of your company you can find out where it's going <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah definitely yeah I mean because that's the thing is you you have the reaction of oh there are jobs getting sent to Mexico because they can pay workers less we need to ban companies from working with Mexico no right wrong no. we mm-hmm. need to demand that if US companies are going to work in Mexico that they have to be legally required as part of these trade deals to pay Mexican workers well, to make those jobs good, to give them union benefits, because then regardless of where the jobs are, they will actually be giving good wages, good benefits to whoever's making them. And that's ultimately, you know, what trade unionism by itself, you know, is fighting for. You got to expand it into socialism, but like on the, on the, like the battleground of trade unions versus companies, that's what we need to be fighting for. Yeah, well, and yep. absolutely. And it also breaks uh, the the cycle of, you know, wherever they're going from and to, companies mm-hmm. just periodically, you know, uh, uh, packing up shop and moving to where the labor is cheaper, which is like, if a company is doing that every couple of decades, that means every couple of decades, they are ruining dozens or hundreds mm-hmm. or thousands of people's lives every time they do it, whether those are Mexican or American or workers anywhere else in the world. It's really fucking unconscionable, you know? Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, that that aspect of it exactly actually, I mean, points us to the next step beyond, you know, just having trade deals that require, you know, good jobs, good wages, you know, it gets into the like, hmm, 
perhaps these sorts of companies should be nationalized instead of being owned by an individual or a small board or a group of shareholders. Uh, But so NAFTA, you know, was one of the biggest labor issues that, that the Clinton administration dealt with. And of course it was set up not to ensure good wages for, for people in Mexico. It was set up to benefit the, bourgeoisie in the United States to the maximum extent possible to allow them to extract the maximum amount of profit that they possibly could. And I wanted to mention NAFTA so much on here because it's been used repeatedly since it was signed, since before it was signed, as an explanation for why there's been a decline in manufacturing jobs in the U.S. And that's not really true. Like there's, it's one of those things where they take a, it is a, a small part of that, but that whole story has been distorted, and and we're going to get into that more in a section later. But just going through the things that happened in the '90s, like so, we had NAFTA, you had some other smaller free trade deals as part of the you know era of globalization, mm-hmm. as like oh, barriers one, to U.S. Go ahead. One thing to point out about all of these like these trade deals is uh, labor had basically no say in it. And mm-hmm. even during the renegotiation semi recently, where they uh, where the unions tried to demand more of a, a seat at the table of sorts, it still didn't really exist. Yeah, and and that's one of the things that I think is so important. Like to, th- to when you see free trade, free in there is free movement of capital. It's not free movement of labor. It's it's never free movement of peoples because you know we see a, a massive increase in immigration enforcement at the same time that we're seeing this and it's made abundantly clear that what they want the freedom of movement for is capital not for people and this is true in the like places like the eu as well as as other like regions that have instituted these sorts of deals where they maximize the ability of capital to move around so that it can seek profits wherever they are but enforces those sorts of physical barriers to people trying to move to get to a better life because it's all bound up in it's like, no, 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 this is freedom for capital, not freedom for workers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and so at the same time that this is all happening, you see a, a huge surge in financialization in the rise of private equity firms, which has now become an enormous part of the United States, like finance sector. Uh, You also see like just general rampant financialization of businesses. And you start to see things like, you know, the movie, like, like wall street and like uh, all sorts of this, like hyper capitalist propaganda coming out to, to, gloat about these enormous profits being generated by the finance sector in the United States, which I think is, is one of those things that really starts to get us into today's era of capital where like finance capital was already dominant within U S capitalism well before the nineties. But we've gotten into the point at, at this point where like finance is kind of is the u.s economy Mm -hmm. (laughs) like the manufacturing is still big services are still a big thing but the absolute enormous dominance of the major banks of investment firms of private equity in the 90s really started to soar oh yeah well i mean like fucking look at uh raytheon or lockheed martin like half of their fucking liquid assets are board ape yacht club jpegs (laughs) at this point (laughs) yeah you know (laughs) Listen up, we've got a war zone here today right in our heartland And across the USA, 
These multinational bastards don't use tanks and guns, it's true. But they've declared a war on us. My back, it's up to you. Oh, it's a war on the workers. War on the death of you and me, but we're not unarmed. Our weapons, solidarity, Jim Beals and Karen Silkwood, the list goes on and on. With every year that passes, 60,000 more gone. Oh, it's a war on the It's time right now. I said it's time we started calling the shots. 